0: Welcome to Chinese Revolutions, a podcast about how China came to be the way that it is today, looking at modern Chinese history through the lens of Chinese revolutionary movements starting from the First Opium War, 1839. I am your host, Nathan Bennett. I lived in China for seven years. This podcast is a love letter and a farewell letter to that country. Uh, The Announcements, as always, uh, if you'd like to support the podcast, please go to buymeacoffee.com crpodcast, or you can join the substack, chineserevolutions.substack.com. Please send me an email at chineserevolutions at gmail.com. I'm trying to build the podcast community, so uh, you can engage with us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, you can find the links to those on our website, www.chineserevolutions.com. And when I say we and us, it's just more fun to say we and us than it is to say I, me, my, okay, anyway. So on for the, on with the episode. Last week we talked about Hong Xiuquan. Uh, he wasn't born with that name. Uh, he was born as a, baby very close to his uh, mother who happened to be having a baby at the time right okay dumb jokes anyway the he was born uh with the name hong xiu and he's going to drop the first part of the, his given name and add chuan um we'll get to that later uh but we're going we're just giving his name as how history remembers him uh he so it was we went over last week he was an educated chinese man from humble origins trying to pass the civil service examinations he had religious inclinations and he started getting visions in a time of nervous breakdown and he's tapped into a religious tradition that gives him lengths of story and myth to work with, uh, shaping his own religion and ideology to go with that. And today we're looking in depth at the transformative experiences that turned Hong Xiuquan into the founder of the Taiping movement. Uh, The books we're relying on for the Taiping Rebellion episodes are God's Chinese Son by Jonathan Spence, and today is mostly drawing from that one. Autumn in the Heavenly Kingdom, uh, we will draw on as we get later into the... Uh, by Stephen Platt, uh, later in the coverage of the Taiping Rebellion. Uh, so to zoom out a little bit, to look at the Chinese religious context, uh, the Chinese religious scene was comprehensive and it was cosmological. So it talks about all parts of life, and it talks about the earth, the heavens, the weather, uh, the state. So the Confucian strand of uh, what was going on, it had things relating to the family, the nation, the state, the cosmos, uh, Taoism relating to the world, getting along in life, Buddhism, uh, philosophy and religion about approaching enlightenment. There are plenty of characters and worked out cosmology to provide the set pieces for religious visions. You know, there are gods in the heavens, gods of hell, and it all works out to provide a very vivid cast of characters who, if you have these guys going through your mind, uh, they can show up in hallucinations or whatever it was that Hong Xiu Chuan had. Uh, a work that was making the rounds at the time was the Jade Record, a series of Taoist or Buddhist religious works in in circulation at the time. It was a holy text sent down to earth after being approved by the highest god, sent in uh, for approval by Yan Luo, the king of hell, and Pusa, a, a compassionate bodhisattva um, it's a sort of Dante's Inferno, comparing bad deeds on earth to suffering in hell. Uh, so you do exactly this thing and you get that, that suffering in hell. And then, of course, how to avoid this by good deeds on earth. And tradition says it came down during a Taiping, Great Peace period. And Chinese, uh, the Chinese Song dynasty and the Liao Barbarian dynasty uh, is given as the Period in which this came down somewhere between nine eighty two and ten thirty AD. The you know you can say this is one of the original chain emails. You copy it and share it with others, you could go to the good heaven or get good reincarnation, transmigration of your soul. Uh, and you destroy it, go against it, you go to special hell, or you get a bad reincarnation. Uh, then So that's one thing informing some of how Hong Xiuquan's visions are going to go. Then we're going to look at the uh, life and work uh, up to uh, Hong Xiuquan's inspiration. Uh, We're going to look at the work of Liang Afa, a Protestant Christian who is is Chinese, he lived from 1789 to 1755 we're going to go through his stuff very quickly here he was the second chinese convert to protestantism uh, on record I, i'm drawing a lot of this from wikipedia uh he was the first ordained minister and evangelist ordained by robert morrison uh, the guy who was behind one of the first protestant translations of the bible his family worked really hard to give him a classical education, you know, the Confucian Four Books and Five Classics and the Sacred Edict. That's drawn straight from Wikipedia. So, the, the, so he had classical Chinese education. Starting at age 15, he worked as a brush maker and later became a printer, carving blocks for printers to use. So again, he's one of these guys educated, but didn't get anywhere with the uh, civil service examinations. So very, very well-educated, but not able to use that in the conventional high-status path. He he was one of the guys printing things. By 1810, he's living around Canton as a printer. Uh, 1811 to 1812, he's helping with the publication of Robert Morrison's translation of the New Testament into Chinese. In 1812, his, uh, there was an edict passed against the publication of Christian texts Texts in Chinese. He converted to Protestant Christianity in 1814. From 1815 to 1819 he went to Malaysia with a Protestant missionary to help with printing Chinese language tracts. Now this sort of thing still happens today, printing materials outside of what Protestants will call closed countries and ship it in by various methods. So if you look at the Middle East, a lot of countries are not very friendly to to Protestant religious work coming in from outside, Uh, North Korea, China, of course, today, you name it. Um, So then in 1819, he returned to China to visit his family. He brought 200 copies of a tract. He was arrested, beaten, fined. He was released after two days because of Robert Morrison's intercession. He went back to Malaysia, he visited in 1820, visited China, converted his wife, went back to Malaysia, and back to China in 1823. He was ordained a minister in 1827, and he had been a lay evangelist before then. So all along, of course, he's going to be pursuing his own theological education. He gets into writing his own tracts, and if you listened to the episodes on protestant christianity okay literate literacy work uh writing printing tracts okay this is in the dna of protestantism that's how they did things so of course he's going to then be writing his own tracts these were distributed at chapels hospitals at, and at civil service examinations and so when we told the story of when hong Xiuquan met a protestant missionary okay this is one of the guys doing the you know, looking for potentially influential members of society and giving them protestant religious materials to you know hopefully draw them Toward Protestant Christianity, uh, his key work—the the work that influences Hong Xiuquan—is "Good Words to Admonish the Age," nine chapters telling the overarching story of the Old and New Testaments, like so: Forbidden fruit, for expulsion of Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, Noah's Ark and the flood, God judging the world, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so the fiery destruction story is going to be interesting, especially in the story of the Opium War. Prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah, their condemnation of corrupt society and and encouragements from, okay, uh, in God's Chinese Son by, by Jonathan Spence, uh, he says, uh, encouragements from Psalms 19 and 33, uh, the Sermon on the Mount by Christ and the Gospel of Matthew, the last chapter of Revelation, you know, like damnation of sinners, salvation of, of Christians, uh, comment, and then of course commentary and all these things, and we'll get back to get back to these. Okay, but this book was the key to Hong Xiuquan's visions, and we'll get into that as we get into the story of Hong Xiuquan here. And so just a side note, when we come to the Communist Party being founded in China, we will see that this is not the first time that China gets its pivotal ideology coming in from outside China. So let's talk about Hong Xiuquan's visions, and we're drawing heavily here on God's Chinese Son by Jonathan Spence. Uh, and we're not going to get too much into the exact details of his visions. Chinese folk religion is very colorful, very complex, and I don't want to do it an injustice. So, so 1837, he's on what he thinks is his deathbed. He's saying farewell to his family, lamenting that he didn't live up to, his ex- to expectations in filial piety. He closes his eyes you know, okay, roll film for these visions, fever dreams, whatever they are. He's carried off by a procession to a gate in a vision, and at the gate, attendants slit him open. So instead of uh, this being like hell and they're torturing him, they're like, it's like an operation to remove bad stuff inside him. And he's given revelations and teachings, and he meets his heavenly father and his heavenly mother, and this isn't just, uh, like, a heavenly father among many heavenly fathers. This is the high God. Uh, the heavenly father describes the corruption of the world, learns of the world's irreverence toward the heavenly father. Um, you know, is disappointed at their disrespect toward him, and the corruption driven by demons, penetrating even to the heavens, demands a cosmic war, and so step by step. Hong is given permission to do battle with demons. Uh, he meets his heavenly wife up there as well. He's, so he's got this heavenly family. His he So as he goes through this combat with demons in the heavens, he drives them to earth, pauses for more instruction from the heavenly father, and his heavenly elder brother is more harsh than the heavenly father, but he's also one of the instructors. Before Hong is returned to Earth, his name must be changed. Originally, he's Hong Ho Xiu. He has to drop the Hong, uh, no, no, he has to drop Ho, meaning fire, and he, he adds Chuan, meaning completeness. The full title given by the Heavenly Father is Heavenly King, Lord of the Kingly Way, and Chuan. So, then when he's back, on, back to earth with his mission. He has the support of the Heavenly Father and later he'll return to the heaven he'll return to heaven later in glory after accomplishing his mission. So that's so he, he gets all these teachings about how the world is corrupt and he's going to set it all right and go back to heaven when his job is done. He rises from his sickbed after many days of sleeping and kind of rising and sleeping again he yells about killing demons and he falls down exhausted and he sings lines from a song about victory over enemies and giving aid to friends he writes his new title out on paper in red ink heavenly king lord of the kingly way chuan his 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 uh, name you know for his older sister he writes out son of heaven in the period of great peace Taiping is the period of great peace. So it's just four characters in Chinese, but son of heaven in the period of great peace um, is translated into English. There's a lot of things in Chinese that are just like four characters, eight characters, which are four syllables or eight syllables that are ghastly, really long translations into English. Like, so for example there's this uh, this four syllable phrase that translates to oh what is it's 16 syllables in english uh like a moderately prosperous society in all respects is a favorite phrase of xi jinping it, like it's it's four syllables in english no no in chinese four and then it it, it expands four times into english okay yeah, so it's one of the difficulties of translating from Chinese. It's a very abbreviated uh there like there's a lot of very abbreviated uh vocabulary. And Hong after he rises from his uh, his sickbed, he starts openly disputing with his father, berating all of his family because he thinks it's his duty to judge the world and he writes poems about his mission from his heavenly father. So rumors get around that he's mad. His uh, his family watches to make sure he's locked in his room. You know, I guess if a madman kills, the family's held responsible. But later he calms down. His wife bears him a son. He returns to Confucian tex- texts, and he resumes his teaching job in a village nearby. And, it, and because the dream can't be interpreted, it's nonsense. Right? Yeah? Yeah? Nonsense? Five years later, 1843, the the book Good Words to Admonish the Age by Liang Afa becomes significant again. His friend and distant relative Li Jingfang stops by and asks to borrow this strange book he has, Good Words to Admonish the Age. Li reads it. He recommends that Hong read it, too, and he does. Now this is after the 1839 to 1842 Opium War that has just happened. It's a huge back and forth between the Chinese and the British. British forces totally defeat Chinese naval forces, sink loads of ships, destroy a lot of coastal fortifications. Lots of Canton is also destroyed by either Chinese revenge mobs destroying the foreign quarter or by military action. There's a lot of contention on the Chinese side is the defeat because of traders to the nation? Is it you know, people who trade with foreigners, do translation work, work on foreigners' boats, or worst of all, you know, pilots guiding foreign boats through the tricky waters in coastal South China? Like so, British landing boats perhaps, landing troops on the shore? Uh, and the shame and humiliation of the defeat and anger at officials for Appeasing the foreigners, um, also causing destruction our local militias and official M- Manchu armies, uh, targeting suspected traders or people whose property they want you know and so then, in the middle of all this killing and all this violence, some go over to areas where the where the British had established control, and this further feeds the paranoia and so they're just trying to escape the predations of the militia and the regular army and they're also engaging some of these guys are in engaging in piracy and opium running with a base in british protected territory so it's really complicated on the chinese side so like, like they're looking for traders but also the the traders are well i mean sometimes it's just people running away from the people hunting traders And there's this extreme, strange, widespread turmoil that the voice of a prophet might seem to clarify, because if you're just an ordinary person going through times of upheaval, you'd just like everything to uh, heave down. And so Hong Xiuquan is reading Good Words to Admonish the Age. He's seeing... All of these Chinese renderings of the names of God and the terms used to tell the stories of the Bible and its lining up at least somewhat with his visions. The tracts by Liang Afa in this book also add interpretation and commentary. And what's particularly interesting is that it says the events of the Bible happened on the same continent as China. Maybe traces of what happened in Chinese classical text, texts so I'm not entirely sure if this is Jonathan Spence's interpretation, or uh, if this is in the in Liang Afa's book, and it, it says the Old Testament hints of the highest God of Heaven at work, but this is but there's not the story of God's Son Jesus Christ, and so the story of so the Christian missionaries are bringing the completion, the fulfillment of the of what had kind of been known before to Chinese philosophers. And this merges with, China, with Hong's mission to cleanse the world of demons, get rid of idols, and you know, bring in the correct worship of God. So Liang Afa's book lays out the futility of worshipping idols, futility of living only for this life, and Hong Xiuquan also sees this as extending to Confucian the Confucian examination system, and after a fourth failure, he never tries again. So something you can see here and in future Chinese revolutions, somehow or other, they see critical failures in Chinese culture that led to the defeat of China and their humiliation. So they're turning to something different, to reform, to regain strength. And if a revolutionary movement turns more inward to chinese values it's about recovering some essence that has otherwise been lost uh by foreign domination like so that's that's one of the things against the qing dynasty this is foreigners ruling china uh liang afa uh, his tract proceeds to set out the moral demands in the bible the ten commandments some formulations of the commandments given by christ and it shows how these are violated in various ways in contemporary society. So priests of false religions, you know, Taoism and Buddhism, according to the, according to this work, sellers of books. So they sell the texts of false religions, also immoral literature, like pornography, greed, sexual deviancy, lust, and, you know, all the other sins. Uh, And it, Describes conversion and baptism into the Christian faith repentance cleansing of one's sins leading a living a new life in Christ uh, And the final judgment salvation for those who turn to God to damnation for sinners Those who don't there are long writings full of strange names, but Hong Sichuan feels like it's the it's it's talking about what's in his vision This is the key. This is everything his vision was preparing him to receive And Jesus is identified as the elder brother in Hong's visions. So as as he's reading it, he, okay, this Jesus guy they're talking about, okay, son of God, aha, well, okay, so I have the heavenly father, okay, I've got this elder brother, so son of God, okay, this Jesus must be my elder brother. And so then in the end of this chapter about these visions, Jonathan Spence has this line, and since Jesus is the son of God, and also Hong's elder brother, and then Hong is literally God's Chinese son. So Hong Xiuquan has two, resor- two sources for his stuff. His own visions, uh, the message of Christianity, as he received it through the evangelistic book he was reading. And so this brings us to some questions. Uh, was Hong Xiuquan in the common sense of things, crazy? In a lot of conventional religion, you're not supposed to be having I'm going to change the whole world visions. He had no external check on his revelations, no authority he was obeying, no tradition he was following, other than just these visions that revealed something to him. Does he sound like a cult leader at all? The more neutral anthropological term is You know, new religious movement. So it's on the fringe. It's protesting against the way things are going. One of the signs of a cult is excessive devotion to one leader. And so a lot of this is going to be centered on Hong Xiuquan. What's getting started here is a secretive group with a mission. This is going to fit in with the Chinese secret society scene. You know, this actually sounds like a good topic for an episode, so we'll do that in a few episodes about some of the other stuff around the Taiping Rebellion. Um, A point we're going to keep coming back to, the current Chinese government keeps a very close watch on religion, especially new religious movements, that is, cults, because stuff like this spawns dynasty-ending movements. And the Communist Party itself is a secretive, exclusive organization devoted to the teachings of a strictly defined set of leaders. That's Leninism all the way down.
1: So, you you know,
0: Leninism has this revolutionary vanguard that not just anybody can be part of that. And it's their decision on how to implement Marxist teachings. They look at historical conditions and they're the leaders. So you know, when you get a new religious movement going, they're operating on the same plane as the Communist Party. So, they don't like direct competition. They don't like any competition. So, we will come back to that in many, many episodes. We'll do some small commentary here and there. But, uh, so, Hong Xiuquan has a mission and Next week we'll get into more of how he starts to put things together and get his movement on the road. So this has been Nathan Bennett, your host again. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can go to buymeacoffeecom crpodcast. join the Substack at ChineseRevolutions.substack.com, or you can send me an email. I'd love to get an email from you. Chinese Revolutions at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you for the next episode.